Welcome to the Guys Drinking Tea podcast. If that sounds like a casual conversation to you, then you're absolutely right. We decided to start this podcast because, frankly, we just love talking about the scriptures and exploring how they interact with our everyday lives. These are the kind of conversations we were having in the hallway anyway every week, so we decided to turn on a camera and a microphone and let you listen in. If this content's helpful to you, then we would greatly appreciate it if you leave us a review in your podcast service, hop over on YouTube, subscribe to us there, like, comment, share with friends, all of those things. Without any further ado, let's dive into another sometimes meandering conversation about the scriptures and life. Guess what? Round two. Round two. You know that time last week when I was afraid that we didn't have audio or that this we were recording? Week we didn't have audio. Maybe like, I should include this whole thing where we're like uh -huh. talking and they can't hear anything. Yeah, absolutely. Can they hear us now? They can hear us now. Because there was this whole bunch of witty banter and it was incredibly witty and incredibly bantery. And We also it. solved um, world hunger. Yeah. We did a lot. Uh, you guys yeah. just will never know. But we know. did pitch like <laughs> our delightful new South Fellowship mugs. If you are a volunteer in any capacity, and you could even volunteer this week. Um, I know. I, I can find you some filing to do or something. Um, you, <laughs> I don't have any filing to do. I don't filing. Know, yeah, I, don't, I don't know what that is. Um, then, then you can come on volunteer appreciation night and you can get one of these mugs for free. Imagine that. They're quality too. Yeah, they are delightful. They... I'm excited about these mugs mm. and they're white interior. So they're, they're suited. They're a little bit on the large side a for large. a typical teacup. Now, now I do like C.S. Lewis famously said, you can't find a, uh, a book long enough or a cup of tea big enough to satisfy me. And I kind of appropriated that comment wow. a while back and, and just sort of claimed it as my own. It was like C.S. Lewis, Alex Walton. Um, and I, I would Good job, Michael Scott. Just, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, very Michael Scott. You miss 100% of the shots you don't take, Wayne Gretzky. Um, <laughs> I, I yeah, would say this is a little big for tea. For tea. Appropriate for coffee. Well, you can adjust, though, by just not quite putting as oh, much in. Weird, or so. I would agree with, I would agree with C.S. Lewis. And I just, I don't know if this is appropriate, but I too, I put two tea bags in. And then I fill it all size, the way to the okay. top. Yeah, that would be okay. Yeah. I'd, I, I, and that's my morning routine. Anytime you get to equate yourself with C.S. Lewis, yeah. that's like in, in evangelical circles, that's like arriving. Um, Absolutely. If you've never read C.S. Lewis, or you know, then, then read him, I guess. Well, um, sorry you guys missed the solution to world hunger. Yeah. But we, this week, were the subject for this week is shame. And so all our banter, it's a little awkward transition from banter, solving world hunger, come to volunteer to, appreciation yeah, 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 to, into to shame. Shame, shame, shame. Shame, shame, shame. And neither Alex or I preached. No. Um, but Kevin Butcher, who's our good friend, picture. I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and give you guys Kevin. This is Kevin right here and his wife and their family and and he brought the message. If you didn't get a chance to oh, hear man. the message, then what are you doing? Yeah, well, you should no seriously to go back and listen to it. And and how I articulated was this: I, I gave someone a hard time because they came up to me and was like, "That's the best sermon I've ever heard." 
And instantly I was like, <laughs> get out of here. And Kevin and I got to, to sort of joke about that because he was like, dude, like that used to happen to me all the time. Visiting yeah. preachers are coming. Uh, and, uh, but, but here's what I, like I, as, I, as I processed it, without actually any resentment whatsoever, because I, I, I think he just brought it. And it was, it was so life-giving and encouraging and poignant, all these different words. But like the example, the, the illustration that, that sort of stuck with me was, I remember when this band Nine Inch Nails in the 90s did this song called, um, called Hurt, which is all about like depression, all about suicidal ideation. Like some of the lyrics are, um, I hurt myself today to see if I still feel pain. Um, it's all about like, all of these different ideas and it was poignant when they did it when trent reznor sang it but then johnny cash does this cover of it uh, at 80 something and it just has this different level of poignancy uh, to hear this 80 year old singing about his experience of life and what it is to walk through these painful emotions um trent reznor's like this isn't even my song anymore this is johnny cash's song now like i i can't compete with that um and there is something i don't want to call kevin old because he might be listening i was gonna say are uh, you calling kevin 80 no i'm not calling him 80 i'm calling him ancient no no, <laughs> no. wow no, he's, okay <laughs> he's not he's like he was afraid he wasn't gonna get invited back now he's just gonna turn you down when you invite him back <laughs> no 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 he's, he's he, he, but but there's this experience that you're like wow like you are walking us through a, a lifetime of experience of dealing with shame in all these different sorts of contexts. Uh, and it was just so profound. Um, you yeah. know, like I, I sat there thinking, man, I hope one day I am 45 or whatever he is. Um, and I am reflecting. Yeah. Good on, recovery. Uh, yeah, good recovery. Please come back, Kevin. Uh, <laughs> we need you. We love you. Uh, looking back on these different experiences and, and, and sharing how God has, has lifted that thing, that burden of shame. Cause yeah. I think he's right. Like that. Some of those quotes that he shared, like, you know, from, I think the Atlantic magazine was one of them, a ton of Kurt Thompson stuff, which has actually like sprung up. I think I've used Kurt Tom Thompson recently in the last few weeks. He's become a bit of a like South, like yeah. friend of South. Yeah, for a while there was him. Dallas Willard. Like yeah. it like and wasn't like, really a sermon yeah. unless you quoted Dallas exactly. Willard. Exactly. Now a while. we're like Kurt Thompson. And like, now it's Kurt Thompson. Yeah. Um, but but that language of of shame is almost ubiquitous. It's everywhere. Like we 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 imbibe it, we share it with others, we anyone and you see like with council culture, like so much of that right is is shame. Yeah. So historically, you know, there's like different cultures are defined by certain norms and certain cultures are are have often been referred to as shame-based uh -huh. cultures and the united states maybe in years past wasn't considered one of them mm -hmm. but with cancel culture and social media i've heard uh, uh sociologists start to say oh no no the united states and globally as globalization increases and social media becomes more of the norm the entire globe's becoming increasingly a shame-based culture. And, it, and it's this, I was listening to this guy talk about cancel culture the other day and, and someone said like, do you agree with it or not? And he said, this is why I don't agree with it. It's this ability to take the one lowest moment of someone's life and say that defines you. Like yeah, the one. De so define shame culture for those who may not have heard that terminology before. 
so and again like you, you may define it better than i do but it but it, it really is like that that ability to take some negative aspect of someone's either character some some flaw in them some mistake they've made uh, and to to allow that to define them and almost to remove them from society or good society based on on that experience or that action and and, and we see it all over the bible i mean so if you think about john chapter 4 the woman at the well that's shame culture uh you go to the well at a different time because you are not acceptable no, but You'd, specifically cancel culture. But cancel culture, yes, yeah, sorry, is, is now that it's like... this kind of recent... That recent movement to, to be able to say, we're going to go back and look at all of your history, and if you haven't lived up to everything um, that we think is appropriate now, we're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're not going to buy your uh, books, we're not going to watch your movies, we're not going to... You're going you're gonna to be removed. Interestingly, in England right now, there's this whole conversation with a Russian tennis player number two tennis player in the world right now. And he's been told you can't play at Wimbledon, this big tournament, unless you publicly denounce the president of Russia. So now we're saying to tennis players, unless your politics are up to scratch, you can't play this game anymore. Um, wow. A ballerina was cut from the Royal, from the ball the New York ballet society. She was dancing a lead in some role. And they said, no, we're going to cut you because you're Russian like that like how does that make weird. you feel out there as you're watching this what do you because there might actually be mixed reviews there might be people like yeah this what russia's doing right now is so bad that maybe we need to go to that extent that may be where you're yeah maybe you feel. so yeah but or the other side you may you may be thinking like that's ridiculous what's this ballerina or this tennis player have to do uh with and why would that even be an issue but but i also and, i also think th those aren't anywhere near the most pernicious examples of this because in actual fact like pernicious, I, well done pernicious I like yeah good word I, I don't agree with it personally and again aaron's right you you could agree or disagree but they are at least current you yeah. are at least saying to someone based on current events that are happening your stance matters and we have these expectations and again could you disagree? Yes. Does does a tennis player actually have anything to do with Vladimir Putin? I would suggest probably not, but at least it's current. Cancel culture, cancel culture knows no boundaries. Not yeah, only it's does like, it have to be current. Go back to that first YouTube video that so-and-so posted and uh -huh. said something slightly racist or, you know, that didn't fit yeah. social norms back 30 years ago. Yes. And now let's cancel them because they had this thought yeah. 30 years ago. Let's pretend what's acceptable never changed. And that we can, and you could argue it should never have been acceptable. That, that's a perfectly good argument. Totally. But, they but, would probably agree. Yeah. But I had a really good friend, like a guy that I thought of as a brother from Ghana who used to refer to me by the N word, like the word that we don't say anymore. Like, that's what he used to call me every time he saw me. Um, and, and it was normal. Like, and again, I'm not talking like 100 years ago. I'm talking 10 years ago. Uh, and so you think of like the, mm -hmm. the, the way that society fluctuates and moves um, to, to expect that everybody's whole history lives up to scratch in every area. That is the... That, that is the nature of council culture. And it is to say, no, we're going to pull that worst moment. We're going to snapshot that worst moment and hang it up for everybody to see. Um, it, it's, it's a crucifixion. 
like it's it's exactly what Kevin was talking about, like that ability to take someone and reveal everything to the world to put you on display. Um, that's what cancel culture can do. That's what the church has done to people. Uh, I actually grew up in a church where the pastor, actually a guy uh, had a relationship that wasn't deemed appropriate and he made him stand up and confess to the whole church and publicly apologize. Now, the hard thing was that pastor then ended up in a similar situation and suddenly wasn't as big a fan of the whole like public apology thing. Um, like mm. it was like fine when it was somebody else, but but when it was him, he was like, yeah, I don't want to do that anymore. Uh, grace, yeah. grace, grace. But but I think we, we, we tend to like do that. We tend to shame people pretty well. Yeah. So... So Kevin brought this message and what, what are some of the things, the moments that stood out to you? Um, I know I can share a few for me. Um, pop quiz. What passages did he quote? Yeah. <laughs> was it the new? What was his first point? Oh, yeah. Was it the NIV version yeah. or the ESV version? But what are some significant, significant moments that you want to make sure linger in this community's mm. hearts and minds? So, so I feel like I, I don't want to get too far ahead because I think there was one that came late that was super significant to me, which okay. I loved. Um, but, but like making sure we, we cover that start point of like, like even his like unwrapping of well, what is shame? How is it different to guilt? And bizarrely, I think he actually used a quote I'd used like four weeks before talking about forgiveness. Uh, I was talking about guilt as an, as an opposite mm -hmm. to shame. And he was talking about shame as an opposite to guilt. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Can you, but can that you idea, piece yeah, together the quote? Th that quote was, was something like, like guilt is, is based on what you've done. Shame is who you are. So guilt says you have done this thing that is wrong. It could be a crime. It could be a sin. It's, it's all of those different pieces of language. You did this and you need to either apologize or maybe the biblical word would be repent or confess. But it never takes the thing and attaches it to you and your like your personhood. Shame yeah. is the thing where it says, no, you are fully identified with that thing. And, and now you are yourself unacceptable. I think mm -hmm. he extended the quote and it, it ends with like shame. The only answer to shame, the, the answer to guilt is to confess or to repent. Yeah. The only answer to shame is to cease to exist. Yeah. Which is why, which is why I think the other quote about shame being ubiquitous is it's probably one of the most pervasive, um, how do I even describe it? It's, it's probably the thing that's underneath what happened in the world when sin entered mm -hmm. in. Yeah, yeah. it took it it wrecked identities like mm -hmm. there was all these relational connections and identities pre prior to sin entering into the world and then when sin enters into the world it starts to question identity and it's who we are that's yeah that's messed with and our relationships oh, yeah. accordingly with other with other people and so it's like it is a part of the fall. It's, yeah. It is the... Well, you see that movement, and we'll talk about that this a little bit this week, like the movement from Genesis chapter three to Genesis chapter four is, is to go from the world is for us and we are for each other. And then suddenly we move to Genesis chapter four, the world is against us and we are against each other. There's at least this question mark between human beings of like, where do we stand? How do you perceive me? 
Um, am I valuable in your eyes or am I unvaluable in your eyes? This, maybe suspicion is a good word as well. Uh, and, and I think like yeah. to talk about shame as a whole, like something that we do to each other, like this dear, I'm going to use good old, good old church language. This dear sister came up to me this week and said, like, she said, I finally have a word for my life. Like, that's how profound the conversation was for her. Like, oh. that's what I've experienced. Sh my Shame was the word. Yeah, shame. Like, Ooh. listening to that is like, finally, I have a word for my life experience. That's what I felt as long as I can remember. Um, so, so that, that, yeah. that, that, that mm. like speaks to some of like the, the, the pervasiveness. And I think the challenge for me and a point that I would love everyone to grasp, especially if you have kids or grandkids oh, is, yeah. um, is do we take that and put it on our kids? So like, or if, on others in general. Yeah. yeah I mean, that's, that's this terrifying moment. Like our words, like the Hebrew mind that surrounded words, like um, it's connected to like life force. And like when I, when like some of the words that they might associate with it is even spirit yeah. and breath. Mm -hmm. So like the word ruach mm -hmm. is this, Hebrew good, word for breath. <laughs> yeah, they, I've been yeah, learning yeah. about this. Yeah, so yeah. it's fresh on my mind. <laughs> but part of when, so the spirit of God is actually in Hebrew, it's breath. Mm. It's like, yeah. If it's like the, when I say hello and mm -hmm. that feeling aspiration. Of, of air coming out. And so the Hebrew mind thinks of words or breath mm -hmm. as power. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, when we, when we walk around, we like, when we're speaking to other human beings, we're wielding spirit and power in like this Hebrew sort and of fun mentality. Little aside, we talked the other week about Abraham and Sarai becoming Abraham and Sarah. And actually what's added is the aspiration. Oh yeah. So it's like, it's a spirit thing. It's a breath thing. Ooh. Like Abraham is good. now Abraham. Bible and nerd, like Sarai getting all excited. Sarai is becoming Sarah. Um, so, so that, that's, that's a fun little transition. Like, you can make an argument that that's their encounter moment with, with this spirit of God in a old Testament sort of way. Yeah. But like um, to go back, what you were saying is as we, as if you're a parent, as you're interacting with your child or as you're interacting with other human beings, your breath yeah, and the words that come with that have this power to shame and wreck worlds. Like yeah. their world can be destroyed, but that's... They are creative, but not terrifying. creative just in terms of like, creative doesn't cover it. We, our words are creative because God is creative. He made us creative. But really it's like saying our words have the power to give life or take it, to, to build up or destroy. And how many times have you, I mean, I've certainly encountered multiple people, like smart people that someone told them that they were stupid and they, they believe it attractive people that someone told them that they were ugly and they believe it. There's like these things that these I've always been amazed. I used to do this thing with students where I would, um, I would make them like, I would take like a big pot and, and I would give them a hammer and tell them to smash it and just watch how quickly this thing was just blown apart. And then I'd say to them, now put it back together. Um, Mm. Uh, and they'd scramble around for like a minute before I finally had mercy and said, no, no, you don't have to do it. But really that the illustration was that's how quick it is to destroy, how easy it is to destroy something. And that's how long it takes to, to bring healing to that. 
like one word can be damaging in a way that goes on like long after it's spoken and it can take ages to heal that. Yeah. Um, so, so every time we like, what? so the, the takeaway for me as a parent was like when I talk to my kids about things that they do that aren't great, like, and Kevin used that great language, like son, daughter, this isn't for you. Um, Hmm. Do I do that out of shame? You know, so so the moment your kid expresses an interest in sex, do you say no by implication you're dirty or wrong for thinking like that? If you were a better Jesus follower, that thought wouldn't even occur to you. Hmm. Or do you say, oh, that's absolutely normal and natural, and actually God said it's good, but there's good contexts and bad contexts for that. Like yeah. one is laced with shame that says there's something. And I think the American culture, evangelical culture as a whole has trended towards, no, this is shameful. Um, yeah. And on that subject, I think that another reason why, and I think Kevin hinted at this multiple ways in very, you know, wise ways, but people who felt this kind of shame, they knew what he was talking about. Uh -huh, yeah. I think the church, religion in general, is one of the places that I think people have experienced the most shame, mm -hmm. which is why so many people who've encountered faith in their childhood have horrible experiences with religion, with faith, with Christianity in general. It's because somehow, whether it was intentional, unintentional, who knows, but somehow their experience with faith was that I'm not good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if that was your experience with faith and your experience with the teachings of Jesus and the teachings of the scripture, then I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. And, but there's a disconnect. And so, I don't know. I just sense that that's probably uh, for a lot of people in the room, they're looking back on religious experiences and feeling just not good enough to live, to be in the presence of God and on and on and on all of those emotions associated that's shame. Mm -hmm. And that's not what God had in mind mm. with interaction with him. Yeah. And, 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 and it's so intriguing, like how we, like how we do that to people as a society and, and, and as a church, as like a microcosm of that society. Like weird little nerd aside, there's this really interesting book written in, I think it was, I want to say it was like 1794 by a guy called Samuel Butler. Uh, it's called Erwan, which is nowhere backwards. And he writes about mm. experiencing this. He's, he's a traveler, gets shipwrecked, ends up on this island, which seems like the way he describes it, seems like it's Australia, um, but, but never named. And he goes into, as he moves into the interior of this island, he comes across societies that have just developed in completely different ways. So the things that they find shameful are different to the things that we find shameful. So their sickness is something to be ashamed of. And, 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 and crime isn't, um, it's like a whole flip-flop. So like, <laughs> whereas we might say like, and again, scenario that you probably never experienced, but say supposing someone like, you know, uh, shoplifts and they're supposed to go to a party and they end up getting arrested you go to the party without them and you're like oh yeah i'm sorry they uh they had a headache so they stayed at home like that's a cover for something that's really embarrassing uh in this society it's the other way around so if they someone if someone gets sick 
uh, you don't tell anyone that. They were shoplifting. You, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you go, you go, and you're like, oh, I'm sorry, you got caught stealing socks in the market this afternoon, and everyone's like, oh, I'm so sorry, like you know, it's, <laughs> and, and it's just like it's it's this fun little look at like why have we developed these different things? Now, now the weird thing with that is that in COVID, we actually saw that like movement towards the other thing. Suddenly, mm. sickness was something to be ashamed of. There was like this totally. new blame culture around sickness. Wait, you're sick, and you might have got me sick. You're sick, and you're talking to me. Yeah, like what's the deal with you? Does it like, come through the phone? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> get out of my yeah, face. Yeah, it's airborne. <laughs> um, so there was the shift yeah. during that season, which is interesting. But but we do we certainly seem to find ways, like whole society in general, to shame people for. Um, and we certainly do that in the church. Uh, and we have very much a criteria of what things are good and bad. And, and what I loved about Kevin's message is it started to come towards a conclusion, uh, uh, an hour long conclusion. I'm just joking, Kevin. Um, what was that? Um, was that it landed on this beautiful picture that Jesus carried that shame? Like mm -hmm. the things that we are ashamed for. And I had this picture as he was describing, like, like this physical picture when we are closed off, ashamed, when we are concerned, that has a physical movement for us. Quite often we see like we fold our arms, we, we cover up like a child that is ashamed, hides their face. They, you know, and, and Jesus in crucifixion has his hands like physically sealed open. There is no escaping the vulnerability. Yeah. And he's naked movement. and exposed to the world uh -huh. and put on display and absorbs all the shame. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so that picture I think was beautiful, um, that you have nothing to be ashamed of. I have nothing to be ashamed of. Uh, that shame has been taken. Um, so he also gave, I don't know how he phrased it, but this, I think towards the end of the message, uh, I'll put it in my own words. He said, love is the antidote to shame. Mm. Um, and there was a few interesting things that like, I think as we're evaluating this and looking at this subject again, midweek, like we, as a community, we can't forget these mm -hmm. pieces because it's one thing, like I think at the beginning of the message, he's sort of painting a picture that shame's ubiquitous. And the, in the body of the message, he's like helping us recognize and say, yeah, that's right. I mm -hmm. do feel shame. But then it towards the end of the message, he said, okay, we are all in this together. We mm -hmm. all feel it. We're all kind of, the whole room is feeling it yeah, by the, yeah, halfway yeah, yeah. through the message. And then he says, okay, so what do we do about yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. And then the answer to that question in his message was, you have to encounter love. So I, his big idea was like love or um, shame met by, or vulnerability. Vulnerability. Oh man. Shame met by love. Vulnerability definitely came first. Totally. Vulnerability. Shoot. That vulnerability met by love is the antidote to shame. Yes. He may not have used the word antidote, but we but got like, you, Kevin. Yeah. We were listening. I like the word antidote better. But I do think all those elements are really, really critical. Uh -huh. And he used an illustration, like he actually pointed to you, like if if I tell Alex that I love you, uh -huh. and then Alex is, is not vulnerable yeah, with yeah. me, then Alex is like, well, he doesn't love me. He loves the fake me, the fake yeah, me, the, yeah. the me that I put out there. So vulnerability is critical. Like if you want to heal shame, you have to be vulnerable between, he focused primarily on his on your relationship with God, but then 
also with others, if you have an opportunity in a safe place with a safe person to be vulnerable and actually be the real you, and then you receive love, that's when love becomes an antidote. Mm. Yeah, I mean, and that is, that is what it, that's what it seems like the church is supposed to do well. Yeah, which is what he um, pointed out, yeah. You know, that that's, and, and again, something that we've not done well. Like, and I, I'm, I'm just in this season thinking through like some of the things like for South, like who are we as a community, which is, is both fun and challenging. Like it's fun if you have space and you feel like, you know the community well enough to to go there but but it's also challenging when you feel like there's a load of other stuff going on but one of the things i've just been finding interesting recently i've just been reading a book by walter brueggemann on what he would call the crisis of homelessness Mm. and he would say the crisis of homelessness is physicality but it's also emotional and it's also spiritual like there Mm. is like we are as a society homeless people um, and that what we need more than anything is places to to find uh, to find home, um, and that somewhere the church is supposed to do a chunk of that. That means that you should be able to come to South and be known and know others. You should also be able to come regardless of how you feel about yourself, regardless of how you look, smell, and appear to others, how you dress, and find welcome. Like think about all the things that make a good home. It seems like somewhere that is the call of the local church to provide that mm-hmm. possibility for people. Um, okay, so I'm going to play devil's advocate mm-hmm. because I feel like some folks might be thinking, okay, well then what about the bad stuff we do? Like yeah. when do we draw a line? Like they're they're living in this kind of life and they're doing these things. Are we really supposed to embrace them? Mm-hmm. Uh, like they can come be completely vulnerable and we're supposed to embrace them and love, even though they're like headlong living morally in this mm-hmm. way that seems contrary to Christianity. What about those people? And, and and isn't that interesting? Like man, how Jesus seems to approach that when it's someone who's outside of his group, that's coming in. It seems like there's like no level of judgment there. Like you can come in wherever and whatever you look like. People come and join that circle as tax collectors. Now, do they move away from that? Like, yes, it seems so, but potentially not always. Like there's this story about Matthew, a tax collector, becomes a follower of Jesus. um, And yet he he brings all his other tax collector friends to dinner. Like there's no particular narrative that says all of them stopped collecting taxes the next day. And yet Jesus sits with them in that moment. These people are considered the worst of the worst. There's people that are engaged in prostitution. They come and spend time with Jesus. They bring their friends. Again, Mm -hmm. like there's no particular sense that all of their lives became picture perfect straight away. And yet Jesus sits with them exactly where they are in that moment. And that, that like, that is intriguing when you engage with different parts of the world. Like one of the interesting things for me, I was chatting to a guy who's engaged in mission all over the place. And he said, like, one of the areas he works, almost all the prostitutes that he's met are sincere followers of Jesus, desperately trying to follow Jesus. They have no other recourse, though. That's the, the, mm. the sense. Like, the, it's it's this or my kid's staffs. Um, uh, and so, like, when you talk to them about their relationship with Jesus, they are incredibly articulate about it, incredibly passionate about it. They just don't see other avenues. And that that's foreign to us. We can disagree from a distance but we're not there we don't we don't know yeah i 
I, yeah. Then the Bible language becomes very different when it's about people who are immersed in following Jesus, who then make a movement to something that's described in the Bible as sinful or outside of the will of God. There, there's whole conversations Paul has with the church in Corinth. You know, there's mm. a there's a family there that it seems like uh, uh, it's almost like ancient wife swapping on some level. It's a very weird situation. He almost doesn't go yeah. too much into depth with it, but it, but he does say, guys, what are you doing? Like, don't let that happen. Don't yet. let that happen here. Like, there's 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 like a standard. So. I think he, Kevin also alluded to this. He had one slide on the screen again. I can't quote it um, verbatim, but I think part of the answer to that question is that this idea that he said, remembering that all of our sins are birthed in the soil of shame. Yes. I think it starts to, to the way we approach moral issues and in relationship with other people is like when you encounter someone and you realize that, any bad thing that they've done was first planted in this entire society and Absolutely. soil of shame, then our posture towards them first is of compassion and empathy and like, yeah, me too. Uh -huh. And that that starts to shift the, the sort of ethos of the relationship to the place where love, uh -huh. again can make an invitation towards Absolutely, a different way yeah. of living without it being shameful. And that, that that word me too, you just used, like maybe he's even expressed as like, we have this phrase there, but for the grace of God. Like totally. that's me outside of God's incredible grace. I, I had this youth pastor growing up, Scottish guy who was ex-drug addict. When Jesus found him, um, he was in his apartment, weighed about 80 pounds, like lying in his own urine sold everything to buy drugs, has this incredible story. Like he's got this picture in his office of the old has gone, the new has come. Um, mm -hmm. And yet he would say himself, like grace was difficult for him at times. Like he would say, I, I don't trust myself an inch. Like I just, I know like the moment mm -hmm. I let it go is, is the moment that I'm back where I started. Uh, and then I remember this, this moment where I saw grace start to grab him in new ways he had a, a a guy that he'd been through the drug rehab program with who had OD'd and died. Um, mm. And he went to the funeral and he said, I was so surprised I got to the funeral and everyone was celebrating. Like I was in, he's with Jesus now. Um, like, like he's, he's, huh. you know, he's, he's free from this kind of stuff. And he said, I grabbed one of, one of the guys that I knew. And I said, so, I mean, you said in your eulogy, like he's, he's there in heaven. Like he died with a needle in his arm. Like, what does that mean? Like, you know, mm -hmm. how do you know? And he said, this guy looked at him with just these piercing arms, piercing arms, piercing eyes. And, and he said, he said, he made a mistake. Treat it for what it was, like a mistake, but don't, don't characterize his whole life by an addict going back to like a point of weakness. Don't, don't discount God's incredible grace and story in his life because he wasn't perfect. Um, mm -hmm. and, and for, for my friend, he said it was this moment of like, oh my goodness, like I have totally underestimated the goodness and grace of God. Mm -hmm. Like to, to him now following Jesus required perfection just to stay safe. Yeah. And to this other person, he was like, no, this story is so much bigger than a person who spent years in addiction, falling prey to a weakness. 
Um, mm-hmm. Like if that's as good as the grace of God is, it's not really that great. Yeah, and like if you just practically think about it, a moral standard has never created a saint. No, absolutely. Only the love of God has. Uh-huh. Like, otherwise, why would the cross, you know, life, death, teachings of Jesus, like unnecessary mm-hmm. if the mode of transformation was just do the right things and don't do the wrong yeah. things? Then why, like, even talk about grace? Like, the whole scriptures are null and void if it's like, if, if, why would Jesus do it the way he did uh-huh. and then hold out the the good news the way Absolutely. he did if a moral standard could actually so, produce a saint? And so when we ask those questions around, like, well, what, what about people that are living a lifestyle that doesn't fit? Someone gave me this really fascinating illustration once, and, and I, think, I think it makes sense. Um, this person said, like, look at the behavior patterns of pigs versus sheep. Hmm. Like, so, like, pigs... And sheep actually both regularly get into into mud. Um, mm-hmm. And a sheep bleats and cries to be rescued. And a pig rolls on its back and says, I'm home. Um, huh. Like, and somewhere there's like, he, this person said like, look at that pattern. Like every single one of us following Jesus regularly goes back to our own brokenness. Regularly through shame, through whatever, goes back to repeated patterns where we don't get it right. And somewhere in following Jesus, something changes in our heart that in those moments we're like, Jesus, please help me again. Like, I am such a mess. Like, pull me out of this thing. Restore me. Clean me up. Um, help me get back on a good path. Um, and and that's so different than just say, oh, man. I am home. This is this is who I'm made to be. Yeah. Um, and so that's I think one of those interesting differences, right? Like we 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 hopefully all of us in following Jesus have this change of character that says, I'm certainly not perfect, but man, I long to be. Yeah. And and I think the the quote unquote moral standards of the scriptures are invitational. Yeah. They're not condemnation. Absolutely. It's and like- so like it's actually an invitation to something more beautiful. It's not a standard with which we can shame each other or with which God shames us. It's sort of like, yeah, there is a better way of living, but like, how you doing? Mm -hmm. Like, it's more like that's sort of God's posture is like, first, like, I think I loved your story about the way he encountered people first. He encounters them with love first. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, there were times where he invited them to a better way of living, but it was an invitation. It wasn't about who they were because who they were was made mm-hmm. in the image of God. And then once once they believed that he, they, that he loved them, he had a grounds to invite them to a better way of living. And, and I think it, that that's the way yeah. it should be done. And, and Jesus, is all, it always seems like it's, it's about the possibility of transformation, right? It's, totally. I, one of my favorite things he says is when the Pharisees or religious leaders say to him, why are you spending time with all these bad people? He's just like, eh, sick people need a doctor, healthy people don't. <laughs> and you're like, wow. Yeah. And then what's kind of ironic about that is you look at his interaction with them later and they were probably some of the most sick uh-huh, people yeah, yeah, involved yeah. in the story. But. And, and the New Living Translation, like which tries to paraphrase it a bit better, nails this verse uh, because uh, he's, in, in that version, he says like, sick people need a doctor, healthy people don't. I came from those that know they were sick, not those that think they're already good oh. enough. And it's just like the, the the poignancy of the those 
like you that think they're already good enough um yeah no knowing you need help is a prerequisite uh -huh. to getting it yeah 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 yeah, yeah. And, and, but that that's the that's almost the outrageousness of good news gospel however you phrase that um it's not fair i, I mean it, it, it's fair in, the, in that it's equal for everybody but it's almost set up to feel unfair to us because because if jesus is right if knowing that you need help is some of the prerequisite that often means that like the gospel is it, it's more necessary or more of a felt need for the victim for the sorry for the for the for the the attacker and not for the victim for for the criminal hmm. and not for the the victim of the of the crime the the danger is like it, it means that it's more of a felt need for the murderer and not for the family of the victim huh. like that's the scandal almost of grace yeah uh, because those of us that have been victims of something we know our own sense of justice is like this was done to us it's not fair god you need to sort that out and and that there's a lot of accuracy to that it wasn't fair and and god will in his justice sort it out but it can lead us to say, and I need nothing from you other than that justice. Uh, whereas for the, for, the, for the guilty one, in actual fact, it's no, I, I, I am aware of the justice. and I mm. deeply need rescuing from the justice. Wow. Um, Good stuff. Man, that was fun. Considering neither yeah, of us preached on that, it was fun to yeah. circle around and yeah. I think we remembered enough of it to, to make sure that he knew Tell we were again. listening. Yeah. Now we need to test him on whether he was listening to this. Yeah. Oh, to the t guys with T. Uh-huh. Mm. Kevin, yeah, give us a shout out. Him. I, I sat through twice. Yeah. And we're going to find out. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> well, thank you all for tuning in. Um, yeah. Like, subscribe, share. I, I we strongly encourage you to go back to watch the message. And we every every time that that'd be helpful to make these conversations and send us really difficult questions that aaron will answer oh gosh no don't do that he's gonna run theological rings around those questions um and, and, which and translation i i will get scared and say big words until you <laughs> stop realize that or you stop paying attention to yeah, my yeah, answer yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely no, just yeah. Saying, <laughs> no yeah if you have questions or comments or a story about Maybe your journey with shame mm. and you feel comfortable sharing that, you know, put those in the comments below if you're on YouTube or whatever. I don't think our podcast is on Apple Music yet. It's in the process, it's in the working. We're on Spotify, those sorts of things. Again, eh, if you choose to to share this, uh, great. You're weird if you do, but yeah, great. Yeah, we're, we're fine with that. We like the weirdness. We're weird as well. Um, yeah. Our goal is to be bigger than Joe Rogan. No, it's not really. That's... Impossible. Oh, wow. No one can be bigger than Joe Rogan. There you go. All right. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you all later. Have a great week. Well, thanks again for listening. And we hope that that was a helpful conversation for you. We'd love to interact with you about this. So feel free to leave comments, questions, all that sort of thing. And we'll try our best to get back to you when we can. Have a great day.